Hello, Agile listeners. Welcome to this week's episode of the Business Tool Workshop hosted by myself, Paula Mukisa. This week's topic is on the opportunities for STEM for Ugandans. And our guest today is Philippa Ngaju Makorode. But before we get into the interview and I bring in Philippa, I did want to remind you guys not to forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel for our blog and on Anchor and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you can be immediately notified as soon as a new episode is out. Also, don't forget to leave a review or rate us. It helps us be easily found by other people looking for great business content. So without further ado, welcome, Philippa. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Paula. It's an honor to be on your podcast today. Great. I was wondering if for a start, you could tell us a little bit more about you and what you've achieved and what you're currently working on. Thank you. So as Paul has already mentioned, I'm Philippa Ngaju Makobore. I'm an electrical engineer, however I have a graduate degree in biomedical engineering. So my focus area is innovation in healthcare, specifically for low resource settings. So on a day-to-day basis, um, I lead a team of electrical, computer, and biomedical engineers who design non-invasive medical devices for low resource settings. We have a number of projects that we've worked on. We have our flagship device. The first one is a flagship device. It's called the ECGF infusion set. The ECGF is an acronym for electronically controlled gravity feed. And what it does is it safely regulates intravenous fluids and medication to patients that need fluid resuscitation. So patients that need replenishment of fluids or possibly medication for a specific disease. So for that particular device, we've clinically tested it in hospitals, both in the adult and pediatric population. The second project is the design of an open source platform for the co-creation of medical devices. So it's actually open to anyone interested in the healthcare innovation space. You don't necessarily have to be an engineer. You could be a doctor, you could be a software developer, you could be a social scientist studying how clinicians and people interact with devices and solutions for healthcare. So essentially it has the tools with which you can create a product And the underlying kind of foundation is the adherence to European medical device standards. That particular project is a collaboration with some international partners, mostly from Europe. That's really amazing. I know we don't have as many people working in this field that are women and I think it's it's one of the main reasons why I jumped at the opportunity to get to hear on on this podcast for our audience. And I think I saw somewhere that you won an award for one of these devices that you either created or co-created with a couple of other engineers or electricians or other um people like in the IT space, 
trying to come up with solutions for the healthcare sector. Am I right in saying that? Uh, yes, our flagship device, the ECGF Infusion Set, um, has won a few awards. So it's possibly one of those awards that you saw. Um, those are, I think the, the ECGF has gotten quite a bit of, of publicity, so people know it the, the best about the work we are doing. Yeah. And that particular device has been developed together with my team, so it has been co-created, so it's had a lot of input from a number of innovators, not just myself. I have led the team, but we have had contributions from a number of members of our team. Okay. Um, in case we have gone way off track for our audience and they're wondering why you're here and how all of this relates to them, um, I'll let you explain very briefly what STEM is. But before that, I did want to say um, that you are the department head of the in instrumentation division at URI, which is the Uganda Industrial Research Institute. And I thought that it was very pertinent for you to, first of all, introduce what STEM is to us, but also explain the opportunities, maybe in a more simplified manner for our audience, that they are for Ugandans, for women, and for entrepreneurs. Thank you for the question, Paula. So just to break it down, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. So essentially, it's in mostly the applied sciences area. Um, and in terms of opportunities, I feel that our, especially in biomedical engineering, there's a growing industry and a lot of interest in innovating for healthcare. I think um, the underlying issue here is how can Africans solve their own problems instead of uh, adapting devices that have been made for a resource-rich context, because we have a lot of challenges in that area. This is just one of the many examples. And even if you look at this COVID-19 situation, you can see how there are a lot of solutions around diagnostics, um, tracing of contacts, of people who have been exposed to this virus. So there's a lot of need for, for innovation, especially the application of innovation to solve uh, societal problems. So for me, I see there are several opportunities in Uganda. We have innovator hubs. I'm sure you've heard of Outbox. Um, I have. As one of the, inno yes, the innovator hubs. Um, we also have an incubation program here at Uganda Industrial Research Institute, and on a case-by-case -case basis, we do incubate technology-based companies and support them to develop a prototype that can be used as an investigative device, for example, for a clinical trial. So we do provide that support. However, our scope of expertise is limited to electrical and computer engineering just because of the skill set of our team. However, there are a lot of other um, innovator spaces, possibly even software developing de developer spaces where people could also innovate and come up with new applications that can also solve challenges, not just in healthcare, but in agriculture, in fintech. I think there are several opportunities. 
I've also noted that the government has taken a very keen interest in supporting innovators through the Innovation Fund, which is administered through the Ministry of Science, Technology and Innovation. So there are a few pockets to access seed funding. Um, that's one of them. The second one, the Resilient Africa Network has for a number of years supported several uh, innovators. They've incubated them, trained them on business planning, as well as linked them with different tech innovator hubs so that they can develop their prototypes. So I think it's quite, it's a growing area and there are a lot of opportunities, both locally and internationally for support, both in terms of technical support and also funding support. I mean, that's really amazing. You've said a lot of, um, a lot of great stuff. What I, what I did pick out um, personally is um, the part where you said how Africans can adopt solutions, um, ought to adopt solutions for themselves that solve our own problems rather than adopting existing, um, trying to adapt existing solutions that are designed for resource-rich environments. Um, it's clear, you know, from what you're saying that there are so many industries within which this can be done. But of course, because we are smack dab in the middle of a pandemic, health is just kind of peeking out as one of the um, priority areas within which, of course, many countries, including ours, want people to innovate. But I am curious on your thoughts about just practically for the women or the person or the Ugandan that really wants to seriously enter into applied STEM and developing prototypes or software or any one of the great things, interventions that you've mentioned. What is that? Um, what are those steps? that can help someone bridge that gap between um, the opportunities itself, some of which have mentioned, to where they are at the start. Like, I know you mentioned incubation through Outbox, incubation that you have at URI, but how, where would someone start? Or how would they go about starting seriously in order to then maybe later access some of these opportunities? Okay, that's a very good question. Uh, I think the starting point is to evaluate what skills you have um, for the area that you'd like to innovate in. And that should not be a deterrent, even though you don't have the entire skill set required to implement a product or a process, you can leverage that by forming a team, identifying, you know, driven, uh, highly skilled teammates, you could have someone who's very technical, possibly maybe a software developer or someone who's heavy on the hardware engineering side of things, and team up with them so that you can develop your concept. So, and then I think the first step is really the ideation. So you try to determine, is there a need? You know, let me try and discover the priority need for, for this particular area that I want to innovate in. It's very important, especially for our context, to design for impact. You can go very, you can go and do blue skies research, but what kind of impact is that going to have on the society, especially in our context? Right. You know, we have a country where the average person doesn't have access to basic health care or a proper diagnosis. We have a lot of um, misdiagnosis all over the place, but that's partly due to the lack of 
reliable tools um, that can be innovated by our own people. So really, when you are ideating, you really have to focus on the need, the priority need, because that will also have an impl implication on the market. You know, is this something that is required? Is it something, for example, the Ministry of Health would take up? Um, so those are the questions you need to ask yourself. So I talked about number one, expertise, number two, team. And you don't have to have a complete team in the beginning. You can just have a team that focus on, focuses on developing the context. It can be up to just two individuals. And then from there, um, it's, it's very important that uh, number three, you have a mentor. So a mentor that has experience in that area who can guide you, you know, through that process, who can give you feedback, refine your ideas, and help you come up with something that is feasible, something you can prototype and validate in a particular context. So I think those are kind of my tidbits on, on starting points for potential innovators. Those are great tidbits. <laughs> They're more than just tidbits. They're fantastic strategies and insights. We're really big on ideation as well as the entire business ideation uh, process, especially for entrepreneurs. I like that you say start by understanding yourself and your skills and then understanding, you know, the strengths. When you understand your skills, you can understand your strengths and then, you know, build on a team and then the team doesn't have to be complete. And that whole idea around just starting and building with what you have and then adding on, which um, is good to see applies in your industry as well as in business in general, I guess, as well as with everything where you want to build something good in the long term and have impact. I love that you use the word impact. What is also clear is that, you know, the skill around biomedical engineering may be limited because, as you said, you know, electrical and computer engineering are a focus or are the speciality of the most of the people participating in STEM in our local market. But I was wondering what else could be holding back our younger people, especially women, from pursuing these opportunities in STEM? Like it could be cultural or, or social or economic. I was just wondering what you think is holding us back even further than just the skills. That's a, a good question. Um, I think for starters, uh, girls, women, because really that mentorship starts at a very early age. Mm -hmm. And as a mother of two girls, I feel that it starts right when they're about five or six. You know, when you start introducing them to certain, you know, creative processes, you know, thinking of, about problem solving, you know, introducing them to small activities that can nurture that. For example, there are many robotics clubs out there right now. And I think that's a really good way to engage a child and, you know, get them to, to have a liking for science or to, to um, kind of, you know, jog their brain so that you know, they can think critically. And even the kind of, you know, toys or, you know, books that you buy your children, you know, that can have an influence on them. You know, yeah. you can choose to only buy princess books and that's yeah. all your child is going to think about. But you can buy girls Legos. Why not? Yeah. You can have Legos. And Legos that are not themed. Legos that they can actually create their own. 
you know, products from. So for me, I think it starts at a very early age, right down at like the primary school level. And then secondary, you're starting to really reinforce that because by the time a child is doing their A-levels, they have already formed certain strengths in certain areas. Yeah. And whatever they do in their A-levels is what their career is going to be because you're going to be choosing universities, you're going to be choosing specific uh, programs, which universities have strength in STEM courses, yeah. and, you know, which which uh, courses are applicable if they want to start a study abroad, which courses yeah. can be applicable when they come back home. So I see a lot of parents, they let's say, for example, bring their children for mentorship at A-levels. They've already gotten their grades. There's really not so much you can do then. Yeah. So I think overall, people have to change their mindset, especially mothers. If you have little girls, even little boys, but if you want your girls to do STEM, start extremely early. You know, start nurturing them. Um, I have actually advised, I've been an advisor for um, some kids going to university just to mentor them and give them options as to what programs they can choose yeah. and give them a snapshot of what what they could possibly do as a career. Yeah. But sometimes that's not very clear for some children and it's better that they have a better picture of what they would potentially do when they finish as opposed to not having it at all. So I think that's also an, an interesting perspective that can be explored. So Definitely. for me, I think that's that's kind of um, the the pathway that I would recommend for for parents because essentially I think it's really on the parents you yeah. know, to nurture their children. I think that's fantastic advice. I mean, I'm a mom and I'm a mom of a little girl, and so I not only relate but appreciate um, your advice on the mindset change and just um, the things we put in front of our children and how that will later affect what opportunities they pursue or even just the beliefs they have about what they can pursue and what they can do with their lives, you know, as they become adults. So I, I really do appreciate that advice. I know we have digressed a bit and I just want to make us digress even further before I make you speak about the linkages between STEM and entrepreneurship for our audience. But I was thinking while you were talking about um, young girls, I was thinking about whether, and I wanted to get this, you know, like from you. My question is, I'm wondering whether the STEM industry has more men or male figures participating in it and what your experience has been being um, the head of a department or a division in a really big research and industrial center and what that means for you and what that might mean for other women entering into the sim space later on? Uh, That's a great question as well. I think I'll start from my university days because it's it's interesting because um, throughout the world, there's still too few women in STEM-related careers. Engineering probably is the one that's, that it really stands out. I went to University of Alberta in, in Canada for my undergraduate um, Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering, 
And there were moments when I would be in a lab, I would not only be the only girl, but I would be the only black person. So it's very interesting. You'd be a minority and you're also <laughs> the only girl in the lab. Yeah. And that became the norm. But it reached a point where you don't see that. Okay. It's only later when you realize, wow, that, that was actually, yeah, I didn't realize we were so few. But, you know, when you have that passion, when you have that drive and focus, you yeah. have to really give it your best. And there would be moments when you have a team, you're doing a project, and the guys are very overwhelming. They just want to enforce their ideas and they won't really listen to your ideas. Yeah. So I actually believe that I became more assertive in my, from my university days and then that carried through to my career. But it was because I always felt that I had to be heard. And, you know, sometimes your ideas wouldn't be heard. And it was the same also in the workplace, maybe even a little bit more. Because uh, initially they said, oh, okay, you'd like to innovate in healthcare because, because it was a new area. This was only started about five, six years ago. And my immediate supervisor said, I think you should start with maintaining medical equipment. And I said, no, I don't want to maintain. I want to design. Because obviously that's a lot more riskier. It's a lot more challenging. Yeah. But I feel maybe if I was a man, it wouldn't have been received in that way. Maybe there would have been a little bit more support. And at the end of the day, you see, this is the reality. But we shouldn't let that hold us right. back. Yes. We should let our work speak for ourselves, regardless of whether we are female or male. Whatever you do, you give it your best, and everything um, should be on merit. So yeah. that's, that's my, my outlook. But it is true. There are very few women in STEM careers, and that really needs to change. I think the women who have been there need to mentor others who are coming through. We yeah. need to create a support group yeah. so that we can encourage young girls, young women to pursue STEM careers. Fantastic. I love it. And so on, right on that thought, for our daughters and uh, much older, younger ladies entering into the space, how would you advise them? What should they keep in mind? What should they focus on? What should they know maybe that you wish you knew? Having studied where you did as a minority, being a woman, um, and having achieved all that you've done up until now, including your position, what do you think they should have at the back of their minds entering into this industry? Yeah, the first thing would be block out the negativity. There's so much negativity. People make, you know, negative jokes. You know, you just have to focus. Just keep your your eyes on the prize, as they say. Yeah. You know, keep focused. And you shouldn't think that you're no better than your male counterpart. You might even be much better than your male counterpart. So you shouldn't let that hold you back. Your race should not hold you back. Your being female or male should not hold you back. Everything should be, you know, based on merit. Like from your perspective, just give it your best. If you are unfairly treated, don't be afraid to speak out. Because a lot of people, even in the workforce, they don't like necessarily like women who speak out. They're like, oh, she's a bit too harsh. She's a bit, you know, yeah. she's a bit abrasive. No, if someone has clearly 
you know, done something that is out of line or um, unfairly towards you, please don't forget to speak out. Always speak out. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I thought it was um, worthwhile to digress. Uh, having you here and being a woman, having you even talk about negative criticisms. I mean, I read your profile and it's just amazing. And it's a surprise to me and I'm sure to our audience why um, people would try to put you or others or other women or other people just in general in, in this space being as few as they are already down but it's so powerful to hear you say very simple advice but very powerful and i think it would be a great direction for those who listen to this episode and are considering it for the future to keep in mind but i'm going to bring us back on topic and i just wanted you to make some linkages between activities in the stem stem space whether it's here locally or just even general in the global market and entrepreneurship, if you can give us some examples of innovations and prototypes and, you know, whether it's in the healthcare sector or any other industry and how um, they were able to be used in a more commercial capacity to then form a business. Okay, thank you for that question. I think to start off with um, the linkage between STEM and entrepreneurship has a lot of research and development. And I think it is a gap with some of our innovators because in order for you to create a product, let's say for example, I'll use the example again of a medical device. I apologize, but I'm in the biomedical engineering space. So those are the easiest examples I can give. So for example, if you're developing a medical device there's a lot that goes into it and there are a lot of aspects that need to be taken care of. For example, safety for the patient, which is very critical. Then there's reliability of the device. Is it able to work over a certain you know, period of time? And what are the maintenance requirements? Then there are aspects to do with usability. So I'll just use those, those three parts for the device. Just, um, just as an example, uh, the technical, the, the core technical part of a medical device requires someone with, with very good knowledge of principles, electrical engineering principles or development of software algorithms. So you need to be very well aware that I will require this expertise or I need to get someone else with that expertise. And I would recommend if you really want to get heavily involved in the R&D of devices, at least have a master's degree or even a PhD would even be be better. Uh, but uh, if we are to compete at a, a very high level, we would need that level of expertise or get someone on our team who has that level of expertise because there's a lot of R&D involved. There's also another approach. You can outsource that R&D a company that has that expertise and you can come up with an agreement, let's say non-disclosure agreement, so that they can develop this entirely for you. And for example, if you need to patent all that intellectual property you will own, that's also another aspect. However, it comes at a cost. It's quite expensive to outsource. And most of those companies will be abroad outside of 
of Uganda outside of this continent. So it comes with a little bit of a challenge. And also in terms of management of resources, when you outsource, it's more expensive and you probably don't understand your device as well as the actual people who are developing it do. So there you have um, some limitations in terms of decision making. That's also um, another challenge. I think um, once, you, once you have resolved that, there's another part after the clinical validation. I now call it the valley of death because mm -hmm. the hardest thing for innovators now is to properly commercialize, yeah. especially if they have a product that is very technical and the hardware product at that. I think software developers have an easier path to commercialization just because the regulatory framework is not as stringent as, for example, medical devices, which requires adherence to device regulations and standards, and right. you have to go through regulatory bodies. You have to ensure that it has been tested in a patient population and proven to be safe. So there are all those issues surrounding, you know, medical devices. Yeah. So it, again, it really depends what you're developing. You could be developing a process or a software, or you could be developing a hardware. But at the end of the day, I think we lack resources to funding agencies. For example, angel investors or venture capitalists that could potentially invest in uh, science or technology-related solutions, we really lack that resource here in Uganda. And I think most of Sub-Saharan Africa lacks that. Yeah. It's mostly um, international companies that, that do that kind of work. Yeah. And that comes with a, with a challenge because they are very risk-averse. So they're not really interested in risking so much money to put it in an investment you know, in, in a low resource country where they're not sure if they'll, they'll make any returns. Yeah. And then there's the whole controversy about how uh, venture capitalists only invest in uh, foreign founded companies that are in low resource setting. There's also, right. That's a discussion, I guess, for another day. Yes. So the landscape for, for innovation is quite complex, but I feel the part that we are really struggling with is true commercialization where you know you have a clear business strategy you're able to make money a proper financial model yeah. and you actually have a market that is willing to pay for what you're providing yeah. that is where our biggest challenge is and i hope since you're in the business area you can support entrepreneurs on, on that particular aspect because that's where we're really struggling Yes. I was just wondering as you were speaking about all of the hurdles that um, an innovator in the biomedical space specifically has to jump through, especially in terms of standards and regulations. If there's such a thing as developing a low-tech version of a product or hardware that can um, deliver a solution in a basic way, you know, like with in a tiered way. So like you have a low tech version and a medium and then a higher, if there's such a thing. And whether, I know we're just speaking broadly, but and whether innovators could focus on building those that 
serve maybe a very, I don't want to say mundane, but like primary solution with resources that are locally available and then go on refining it over time or if it doesn't work that way in the biological space, just from an entrepreneurship perspective? That's a very good question. So I think your pathway in the medical device development cycle is purely determined about the level of risk of your device. So devices are classified in terms of risk. So you'd have maybe a class one, which is very low risk. You probably may not even need to do any clinical studies to have it onto the market. Mm -hmm. Then you'd have like a class 2A, then a class Mm -hmm. 2B, then you'd have a class 3. So if it's patient contacting or if it's something that is implantable, then there obviously it progressively uh, becomes a lot more difficult for you to scale. Yeah. But you do make a good point. There, there's so many low-hanging kind of uh, products exactly. and processes that can be implemented. Yes. Like basic things like ensuring mothers are attending their antenatal visits. Great. Or tracking the health of a child, you know, to ensure that they get all their uh, immunizations throughout their childhood, you know, those critical years. Exactly. So yes. Yeah. Definitely. Those products, you can, those, those are definitely there. Yeah. Um, and we should definitely, I agree with you, we should capitalize on those first as we yes. develop these more stringent um, kind of group of devices. Yeah, because I was just thinking for the entrepreneurs that we work with, the ones that I work with, um, not in STEM. It's just an area that I am interested in, but I haven't read or researched about enough. And then I thought about you and then I said, let's bring her on here to expand our minds. But I was thinking about it from the way that we think about um, entrepreneurship in general um, and our courses, which is what's the low-hanging fruit, if it's something... Um, tech-based, what's the basic version that you can create with the resources that are around us that you can immediately commercialize and then, um, you know, build credibility, build a network, build resources to then get into more refined, bigger products. Because if we as a market continue to depend on foreign investors, foreign institutions, international bodies to create our ecosystems, to create channels for um, capital and resources for these innovations. We might be waiting for a long time and we might remain stuck and dependent for a very long time. So I was wondering if with STEM, as you have perfectly explained with the different classes, the same can be adopted by our local entrepreneurs. I was wondering how much the impact that could have as a strategy maybe like in the next five years. Yeah. I agree with you, Um, but I think another challenge is understanding the market because sometimes innovators don't think about that right at the beginning and yet it's such a critical component. Yeah. Because I've I've had a few conversations with a few mentors and they've mentioned that you need to have people who are willing to buy your device for it to make financial sense. It doesn't matter how beautiful your device is Mm -hmm. and how many lives it can save. If it cannot be purchased, there you have a very big challenge. You know, it won't make financial sense. The challenge with uh, the medical device industry 
and pharmaceuticals as well, is that the biggest consumer is the government. Right. Uh, yeah, for our country in Uganda, it's the government. And we all know if you need to get the government on board as your biggest client, yeah. you have to do quite a lot of groundwork in order to do that. And even if you get them as a client, you know, the payment structure is right. not very reliable, <laughs> even though they will pay quite a bit. So yeah. you have to have this form of a hybrid model, maybe if you can engage the private sector. But we have very few private hospitals and clinics. So it's a very tricky balance. Yeah. And people have also thought about the aspect of non-governmental organizations. NGOs also play a very important role because they are actually able to purchase um, products, devices, and use them to validate, do really large clinical validation studies. So yeah. they could also be potential clients. But the catch is they want devices that are quite further down the the, the development uh, cycle. Yeah. And we're still trying to get there so that, you know, they're able to purchase our devices. Yeah. So it is, it's a very tricky landscape. I would say other countries are probably a bit easier to scale. For example, Rwanda is very promising in terms of commercialization of medtech. I would say it would be, I know I should be patriotic, but if you want to scale quickly, probably scale in Rwanda and then try and scale in Uganda. Because yeah. We have a lot of hurdles here to access yes, the market. Yeah. Yes, we do. And you mentioned some valid points. I mean, government is the biggest consumer and thereby the biggest spender. And so a lot of people that want to scale their innovations, whether in med tech or um, biomedical engineering or anything else, are usually, I say, sometimes misguidedly looking at government as the best partner. But they are um, significant hurdles in working with them if you're able to even conclude um, a project or a bid to work with them. So, but I, I am wondering, just taking it a bit further in economic environments like India that have a lot of similarities to African countries, but are a bit further ahead in terms of their biotech and science and STEM in general, many of them or a few of them have been able to a few of them have been able to scale business models around medical care and the healthcare industry around tech that are, are low tech and are significantly cheaper and that are focused on the individual private person paying rather than government paying. And I'm wondering if the same could be done here. Like, you know, those pharmaceutical companies that offer, you know, generic brands instead of like, you know, more, expensive foreign brands could the same be yes. done in in um in terms of like hardware for like medical devices and products and services by our local innovators definitely that, that's actually an excellent point uh, it definitely can be done but i think the only impediment we have is our regulatory framework this is what is setting us back right now the National Drug Authority is supposed to assess safety and performance of medical devices, but they lack that capacity. I know they are building it, and the guidelines, I believe, are a policy that are meant to be debated in Parliament. 
So it's still a work in progress. If that can be sorted out, and we have a very clear regulatory framework for devices that are developed within the country. Yes. If they're approved elsewhere, there's a mechanism with which to get them on the market, but not for devices that are developed from within the country. And the reason why India is, is doing so well is because that is in place. There's a clear pathway, clear regulatory pathway from concept all the way to market which we lack. Yeah. Okay. So uh, unfortunately, it's really at a higher level that we need to accelerate this process. I see. I know I've already kept you too long. I mean, there's loads that I could ask you, but I think for our audience, they're beginning to like form links and a picture of what opportunities are really there in STEM and right here in Uganda. But before I let you go, I think the last thing I wanted to know is what you think are some of the interventions that we can take, so like the everyday person in our community, in our businesses, to encourage the growth of STEM, like our local STEM industry, maybe even apply and adopt STEM in some of our existing businesses or incorporate them in our new business ideas, and how we can encourage the overall participation of much younger people and women to participate in this industry? I think maybe I'll start with um, encouraging women and and girls to participate. Uh, There are actually some other voluntary activities that I'm involved in. Um, I'm the chairperson for the IEEE Women in Engineering Affinity Group for Uganda. And we do run a few workshops and activities that are linked to strengthening for example, women engineers already in the workforce, and then also encouraging girls to pursue STEM careers. So I think that's definitely something that um, people can plug in. And I know there are lots of actually other initiatives. I think there's Girls Who Code, and I have a few other friends who who have soft, I think they're, they're most of software developers, but they do have initiatives for girls to get into the IT space. So I think just to keep a look out for all those groups, there are a lot of amazing groups doing lots of interesting things so that we can plug in and kind of grow that agenda. You talked about um, uh, how business, um, business-related business uh, companies can get more involved in yeah. STEM-related um, activities. Yeah. I think a, a low-hanging fruit would be to offer mentorship to innovators on how they can scale their tech-based products or processes, because I feel that that's an area that's really lacking. I think creating a group of advisors, maybe to start with, maybe even pro bono, plug into one of the innovator hubs and see how you can better, you know, support them with this business strategy uh, planning because it's really a huge gap. Personally, I would need your services as well because I have no clue about (laughs) business planning or (laughs) how to make financial sense of of a product. We're still going through that process. Yes. So I think um, that's just the one area I can think of off the top of my head. And yeah, I think that's what I'll most probably conclude with. 
That's fantastic. Um, I definitely see the linkages that can be made there um, in terms of the business community, advisors like myself, um, business development people working together with innovators in your industry to develop really robust business models just really for like our market space and all of the dynamics you've mentioned and really trying to get them early traction and success as long-term businesses aside from the solutions they actually provide in terms of you know what the hardware does or you know what the tech does and so on i think that's great i was also wondering um you know like the local entrepreneurs there's something that they could do so someone already has a business um what ways is it realistic to think that they can have start to adopt tech components, science components, engineering components into what they're already doing, maybe by doing it the other way around. So like how you said the advisors support the STEM innovators, could people with STEM skills like yourself go into different types of businesses and say, you can apply tech here, you can apply engineering here to have a more refined product or service. You could apply science here. Could that work or are you seeing that happening anywhere? Yes, I totally agree with you. We actually already do that here yeah. at URI, at Uganda yeah. Industrial Research Institute. It's just that we're already so overwhelmed with whoever comes through. We right. haven't reached the point where we're reaching out so oh, okay. people come and find us. Right. Yes. Oh. So we offer that, yeah, we offer that support. Um, I think I mentioned it maybe briefly in the beginning, but in terms of uh, developing a prototype, and right. providing a laboratory space so that people can actually do some fabrication here. That's part of our mandate, and we're very open to supporting all tech innovators. Ah, fantastic. That's great. So there's loads of opportunities and, and things that our audience can look out for. I'll leave it here. I know we're definitely going to bring you back um, to talk about STEM and what's happening in your industry and what you all are doing at URI and yourself personally. I might even bring you back on other different platforms to talk about being a mother, being in this space and raising a generation that can be able to better take advantage of these opportunities. So I know I'll bring you back for more, but I'll leave it here right now. Um, I want to thank you so, so, so much for taking your time to be here on this podcast. Um, I wanted to ask for our audience in case they had questions or um, if you're on any social media where they might be able to find you or your work or any information about the things you've mentioned, where can they do that? Um, first of all, I just want to thank you for having me um, on your podcast, Paula. It has been an honor and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, if you need to reach me, um, you can reach me on my uh, email address. Maybe, Paula, you can share it with the viewers. We can link and them. also, yes, and, and you can also go to the Uganda Industrial Research Institute website to find out a little bit more of what we do. And you can also do, just do a Google search on uh, the ECGF infusion set. It has a couple of interesting articles that have been written about it. We've also written some research papers. So I think that would be um, nice for the viewers to have a look at. So thank you very much. That's fantastic. We have a free resource library, which we um, share resources with our audience who are 
unable to pay for our paid resources or who just want information to apply into their businesses or to learn more about different things. So I'm happy to have resources about some of your devices as well as you know the services that Yuri offers on there for our audience. That way, when people listen to this episode and want to know more, they can go there and download the PDFs or whatever links and have them sent to their email addresses. That sounds great. I can provide um, the links and I'm sure everyone can be able to access them from there. Thank you. Fantastic. So guys, we'll link all of the resources, including Philippa's email, but um, about everything else that she has mentioned, Yuri, the devices, in case you want to read more about them, in case you're exploring, entering into this industry, in case your interest has been piqued by this episode. So thank you again, Philippa. Thank you for being here with us. And we will speak soon. Thank you kindly. All right. Bye-bye for now.